Good evening. It is good to be together tonight to worship God. If you are a guest, again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. If you'd like to be turning in your Bible, we'll look at Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and then we'll drop over and look at a passage of 2 Timothy, uh, the first chapter, for just a few minutes. We are glad that many of our college students are home uh, for an extended weekend and they've had a few days or a few weeks under their belt at school and we hope that that's going well. We've missed you, we've been praying for you and we hope that your year is a great success. We're thankful for you and the life that you live uh, and at school and the example that you are there. We're also mindful of uh, the many deaths that have taken place recently that have touched our church family and let's continue to be prayerful and encouraging and comforting and supportive in any way that we can of these families. When we think about the generation of the millennials, we think about a generation that we need to try to understand because they are the largest generation in America today. And so if we were going to talk about evangelism and if we were going to talk about loving the world so that we could help lead them to the Lord and increase the population of heaven, surely from a marketing standpoint, you would say, well, we need to make sure that we understand how to reach the largest segment of our population. I hope you realize that tonight to concentrate on this is not to say that any other generation is less important by any stretch of the imagination, but it is definitely the generation that, that at least the beginning of the millennials, or really it's towards the end if you're going backwards, the end of the millennials are still young. Their minds are very formable. And so we want to think about what is it that we could do so that as a church family, someone in their teens and in their 20s and early 30s, they would say, this is a great family to grow and develop spiritually. Or wouldn't it be wonderful if the community around us, if there were teenagers and those in their 20s that would say, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ is a great place to go and learn about God. They're always reaching out and making us feel welcome and they're always teaching us because keep in mind, many of these millennials do not have parents that have taught them the word of God. And so the opportunities are amazing. I'd like for you to look at Ephesians, the fifth chapter. The last half is where you kind of scratch your head and you say, is this a passage about husbands and wives or is this a passage about Christ and the church? And the answer is yes. And, and look in, in Ephesians, the fifth chapter and verse 25, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and clean her with the washing of the water by the word. Now I want you to notice this part right here. That he might present her. This is Christ presenting the church to himself. A glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. When Christ says I want to present the church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. What is he talking about? It's hard to take that any other way but to say he's going to present a church that is forever young. You see, when we look at life cycles, we think about something being born, Acts the second chapter. We think about something growing and maturing. We think about something becoming middle age. We think about something growing old, having spots and wrinkles and then deceasing. Now, when we think about what is the church to be, 
Is the church to be something that begins and reaches out to one generation and that's the last generation they reach? And so they age and they become indifferent to a younger generation. They become so disconnected to a younger generation that that church becomes middle age. Then they become disconnected to two generations and that church ages out and eventually that church dies. Look, God is making it very clear that the church is to never marry a generation. Any congregation that marries one generation will become a widow to the next generation. The Lord's church is always alive and available to the youngest generation if we are being what we are supposed to be. Now, we could say that about any generation. The church is supposed to be alive and available to those who are middle age. The church is supposed to be alive and available to those that are older. But listen, there's something wrong with the mindset if we say, well, we just have a, a generation growing up in America that, that can't be reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That just doesn't even sound right. It doesn't sound right. It's not right. Jesus didn't die for everybody unless you were born up to 1980 and you can't be reached with the gospel anymore. And so it gives us something to think about. What is it that this generation needs in ways it would be unique in some ways, in other ways, it's not unique. It's what we all needed when we were younger. Look, if you will, to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. 2 Timothy, the first chapter, I'd like to share with you about Paul being able to reach a younger generation in his day. Perhaps the generations weren't as different from one generation to another during his day and even during sometimes in American history. Today, about every 15 to 20 years, we have very distinct differences in our cultures today. In other words, we have one culture trying to reach out if we're middle age or older, we have a culture trying to reach out to a culture that is really, really different from the previous ones. It presents a challenge, but what I want us to see is it doesn't present something that's impossible and it doesn't even have to be a hardship. It's just the better we understand each other, the better we can love and serve each other. I think about Paul reaching out and, and notice the relationship that he had with Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3 and 4. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Those of you that are 40 or older When's the last time you walked through the foyer? When's the last time you sent a text? When's the last time you, you looked up somebody, you called them, you did something old-fashioned like that? When's the last time that, that you reached out to someone younger and said, I just want you to know I've been praying for you night and day. Your tears, whatever emotions you're going through, you've really been on my mind and I want you to know that I love you and that I'm concerned about you. Listen, it's genuine relationships that destroy cultural boundaries. It's not rocket science. We have to figure this out in the church. And I know it's easy for those that are younger to even think, I can't form a relationship with those that are older. They need to realize, the younger ones need to realize, yes, you can. But those of us that are older ought to be leading the way in that. 
We ought to be leading the way to say, we want to share in relationships. We want to share in your life. What we all want is that genuine faith that he knew that, that Timothy had. Look at verse five. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. This generation, and I think every generation that's young would think this, they do not like hypocrisy. They do not want to play games in religion. Uh, a book that I'll mention to you and quote from it some tonight, The Millennials, written by Tom Rainer and Jess Rainer, which is Jess is Tom's son. And the reason I like reading Tom Rainer stuff is he usually writes from extensive research. And so he does a great job of doing his homework and then writes as a result of that. And he brings out from some of the interviews he interviewed one young man. He was, if I remember right, this guy was in his mid-20s. And he asked him about if he was religious. And he said, look, I am not anti-Christianity, but no, I'm not a Christian. I don't have any desire to be a Christian. He said, tell us why. And he said, my grandparents, they went to church three times a week and they were very, very faithful to their faith. My parents, they grew up in Alabama and you know how the culture is in the South. You just ought to go to church somewhere and said they went to church. They went to church a lot of Sundays. They went okay every Christmas. They always went on Easter. And he said, I want to tell you what they did on Sunday had nothing to do with their life during the week. And the guy stopped then and he said, don't get me wrong. I love my mother and father and I have a close relationship with them. But he said, whatever they needed to play that game of religion, he said, I just don't need that in my life. I don't need a game of religion to fulfill something in my life. And that is the cry of many in this generation. Many in this generation, they are not wanting to fight Christians or Muslims or anyone. They just don't want anything to do with all the weakness and the hypocrisy that they've seen through the years. They remember grandparents who were faithful, but they never saw day-to-day -day faithfulness in the lives of their parents, which by the way, were also before the previous generation, the boomers. And so now their children are saying, I don't need that in my life. Look, Paul's writing to Timothy, and you know what the blessing is to Timothy? He didn't see that gap. He saw a mother and a grandmother that what they practiced on Sunday is what they lived. He knew the genuine faith. What we have to do is help a generation that doesn't see that. Can we bring them into a church family and can we show them that inside a church family? What a wonderful gift we will give any of our brothers and sisters in Christ to show genuine faith. But also look at the service that needs to be rendered. Look at verse six. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul knew that he had a gift from God because it was through him that it passed. And what he wanted to do was stir up. That means to rekindle. In other words, he looked at the young man and it was almost as if he were saying, I know there was one time where you were more active in your service to God. I don't want you backing out. Come on, young man, let's get with it. We need to stir up the younger generation. Hopefully, if, if someone is in their teens or 20s in this congregation, they could say, you know what? When I came to Mount Juliet, my level of commitment was here. But after I stayed a little while, my level of commitment was here. They stirred me up in my relationships. They stirred me up in my faith. They stirred me up in my service to God. But also, what about that commitment? Look what he says in verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
we need to show the courage to be committed no matter what it costs. We need to be able to have millennials in this congregation that can be an example to the millennials that visit this congregation or that they work with or that they socialize with or that they're friends with. We must be an example of commitment. Not letting fear stop us, but pulling from the power of God, pulling from the sound mind that God would offer us, clear thoughts, and pulling from the love that God would offer to us, and we, in turn, would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. What powerful examples. But who in the world are we talking about? We're talking about the generation that's born from 1980 to 2000. And so right now, they would be anywhere from about 13 to 33 years old. Who is this generation? When we look at various names, the only reason I'm giving you these names here is to help you understand this generation. Sometimes they're called Generation Y because they are the generation to succeed Generation X. They are also called the Echo Boomers because they are children of the Baby Boomers. They also are called the Net Generation because they have been a, the internet has been a part of their life all of their growing up years. They take it for granted. Now I know if you're on the upper end of the age bracket of a millennial, you remember back when you did papers at school uh, without the internet and without uh, paper. But, but most in your generation, uh, you, you remember everything being available uh, at your fingertips online. They are also the boomerang generation. This is the first generation that America's had maybe ever or in a long, long time that the expectation is, is that many of them will go off to college, maybe even work, but then will come home to live sometime with their parents uh, after they go off. They're also called the Peter Pan generation because they're delaying the rites of passage into adulthood longer than most generations before them. Now, why is this important to know? Because these are things that the families the baby boomers, and it's things that their children, the millennials, are going through. I predict to you that we're not many years off from redefining in, in sociology. We'll be redefining what the passage of adulthood is. You see, it used to be that either you went to high school or college, you, you got a job and became independent, you married and had children, and those were the major rites of passage into adulthood. But you see, now this generation... This generation is putting these things off many times until they're almost 40 years of age, but definitely well into their 30s. And so what we have is some of the characteristics, and I know I'm treading on thin ice saying this, and I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus when I say this, but some of their characteristics are very immature. If we were to go back and talk about them a generation ago, but now it's becoming acceptable. In other words, their sexual behavior, as a rule of thumb, is very irresponsible. It's very immature. But yet then the idea of saying, well, why don't you go ahead and get married? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility. You're 25. <laughs> no, no, all my friends, all my friends are getting married at 30 and 33. I've got several friends 35 and they're not married. And so listen, and again, I don't say that to make fun. I'm saying that to say this is the challenge we face where, where the very important, 
you know, we studied in the past few weeks how important sexual purity is. Now, we can, we can fall for what the world believes and say there's nothing to it. But listen, we cannot build strong spiritual lives and ignore the importance of, spirit, of sexual purity. And that's one of the challenges we're facing today. At least as Christians, we would understand the irresponsibility is killing the spiritual lives of so many in this generation. And that's, that's just a challenge that we face today. And we need to be prayerful about that and encouraging and helping every way we can. On this next slide, you see, the, uh, this is the book I, I made reference to you. And I want to give you a few quotes out of this. Chapter 1, page 1. Let's just learn some things about this generation. In many ways, this generation is the most diverse generation in America's history. The most diverse. Here's an example of race. 60% are white, 20% are Hispanic, 14% are black, 5 are Asian, and 1% are others. So that gives us an idea of the diversity of this generation. But on the next slide, we see on page 2 of the book, they are large. The largest generation in America's history. Therefore, they make a huge impact. Now, what do we mean by this? They have already impacted America in a huge way. The president that we have in America today is because the president figured out how to reach the millennials and they voted for him two to one. If there were not for the millennials, the president of America today would be a different president. I'm not saying that to make any other point except to say they have already made significant impact upon the world today. If you run a big business, you have to figure out how to reach the millennials. Look at this next chart and you'll see why. They are huge. All of my life, all when I was in high school and college, when I studied finance in college, we had to do all kind of studies on the impact that the baby boomers were making because they were such a huge generation. Listen, the millennials make the boomers look small. Already today, they outnumber them by from 74 million for the boomers to 83 million for the millennials. Now, I want you to think souls for a minute. We must figure out how to reach this generation that right now, presently, as a rule of thumb, they are not spiritual minded. How are we going to reach 83 million that the rule of thumb is they just are not spiritual minded? Next slide, we see on page three, they're the most educated generation, or at least they're going to be. Already 30% have attained a college degree and they're on, on route to be the highest educated out of any previous generation. We've already mentioned this, but we need to, uh, to see it again on, on page three. We see that they marry much later. In 1970, 44% from 18 to 25 years old were married. Today, in 2013, that number has fallen to only 15%. But now think of, of the, how this affects righteousness sake. 65% will cohabitate at least once before they're married. So the numbers just do not match up if you talk about response. In other words, someone says, David, so you're saying that it's wrong to put off marriage. If you want to live a sexually pure life, no, it's not wrong. But you read 1 Corinthians 6, the last paragraph, and the first paragraph of 1 Corinthians 7, and God makes a point very clearly. If you cannot control yourself sexually, marry. I didn't write that. God wrote it. 
And that is the problem with this generation. There is no consequence in their mind, but we've already proved. We can give a stack of data how it is affecting America today, and it's not pretty, and that doesn't compare to how it affects spiritual life. And so we have a real boiling point of an issue here of where lives are not being started on the right foundation. I know I don't have time right here to stop and preach this sermon, but I want you to think every life is built on a foundation. Any of us that are a few years older, we know how important of what you do in your teens and what you do in your 20s has to do with the rest of your life. And the rule of thumb today is this generation is not building a good foundation in their life. We can help. We can form relationships. We can help them see a way that the world is never going to teach them. We could offer them Christ, which would be something so much better. Now, on that previous stat we just left, it was from 18 to 25 years old. Of course, this next slide is going to be of the millennials, which would go all the way up to the early 30s. And so what we see here is about 75% have never been married. 25% have been married and 4% are already separated or divorced. On this next slide, when we think about what is important to them, and this is out of the same book, notice how important families is. And this is something that ought to give us insight to how important relationships are to the millennials. 61%. And when you look at the other percentages there, it is so much higher than all the others. This is one of the things that I think we need to recognize as, as, as a Christian family, as God's family. This generation is longing to love and to be loved. And if we can help them see the family of God, it is very, very attractive to them. 61% say what's really important to them is their family. Now keep in mind, most of these are not married. So they're not saying my spouse or my children. They're saying their mom and their dad and their siblings. Because as a matter of fact, drop down and look. Number five, their spouse and their partner only rank 13%. Probably not many of them have spouses, but even at that, it's interesting that that is not real important. But notice the next one, spiritual matters, only 13% say that's important. On the next slide, we see the idea there that only 13% of the millennials consider any type of spirituality to be important to them. In other words, it, it wouldn't matter what faith it is. They're just asked that question in general. And only 13% of the said spirituality be important in any. As a matter of fact, on the next slide, we see 65% rarely attend church. 70% say that church is irrelevant to them and to their generation. On this next slide, we have something that I cannot read, but I can now. Okay. <laughs> this is... This is a tweet from Tom Rainer, the writer of the book of Millennials. It says, Millennials do not see the American church making a significant impact in the world and are thus indifferent to the church. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. That is of huge importance. And, and I want to go ahead and, and kind of tease you a little bit with this. They look at the world and do not see the impact the church has made. Oftentimes, those of us that are not a part of the millennials, what we do is we say, let us show you what our church is involved in. And we open up pamphlets and we tell about good works that we're a part of. And this generation, they don't want to know, are you busy? They want to be able to say, take me out in the community and show me what difference you've made out here. 
Because I don't want to be a part of something that's irrelevant. If you can show me that it's making a difference in the world I live in, I want to be a part of it. But if I can't see how it's impacted the world around me, I'll wait and I'll invest my life in something else that I find that makes a huge difference. This generation will volunteer. They'll give significantly, but they want to make sure that it's relevant. On this next slide, we get an idea of five ways to identify them. One is technology. One is their pop culture. Another is that they're very tolerant. Another is intelligent and another is fashion. Now, I want you to notice that any time, any generation, while they have been young, they have been asked, how can you be identified? Almost every generation always says their fashion, oftentimes they mention their culture. And what's interesting is every generation always says when they're young, they're more intelligent than the generations before them. That's, that's common in the studies. It's just interesting to note that. So what is it that we could learn? I am thankful that our newly married class that definitely is among this generation of millennials, I asked them to not sign their name, but to be real open and honest. If we were going to encourage them and if we were going to reach their friends, they're out in the community, what could we do to reach them? to keep and reach the millennials? Here are some answers they gave. Now keep in mind, some are members here some have been here for a while, some have not been here long at all, and some are not even members here that were in class that day that completed this. One, lead programs and classes that relate to this age group, to the needs that we have in, the, in our lives. Specific lesson series, more details of what the Bible says about topics. This group loves to study deeply and find answers. I thrive off of helping others. That is significant for this generation. They want to know that where they worship and serve makes a difference. They want to serve. But that's also one reason why if you were here this morning, we made the point that in the valley is the place that we serve, but we must never be confused and think that's where we get our identity and that's where we get our spiritual strength. We get our strength from the Lord in order to go and to serve. And then I love the explanation here about service. More service projects equals attraction, which is so true for this generation. Uh, another said, follow up checking on us, encourage us. Then another one said, this church tends to have a lot of clicks. I feel like an outsider. I'm not very encouraged to come to church. If you see us struggling, help us out. We're still young in our spiritual journey. Another said, seminars, retreats, application-based classes, overall active classes, more accountability and the need for older mentors. Stronger focus on keeping us. Don't make church a production or a performance. Better classes for singles. That was said a couple of times. Reach some who are intimidated by the formality of the church. Another said, more private sessions for new members. Make them feel like you haven't forgotten them after high school. College and 20-somethings classes are so very important. And then this one would help me. Invite them to go out to eat. That is so true. More. Have more accountability groups. Make us feel needed. Keep in touch with what is happening in our lives. And then how important the 
Christian student ministries are in college and we really are trying to support that and encourage that and we hope that our college students will see the need. We ask this group here in our congregation, how much time do you spend each day on social media and you see all the numbers there and, and those are the hours that are spent each day on social media and that averaged out to about one and a half hours a day of those that are millennials. And we ask how important on a scale of one to 10, one being no importance and 10 being absolutely necessary, how important is it that those that are older be involved through social media in your life and the average number given there was six. Let's skip the next four slides. I'd like for you to think what must the church do as we just give a summary of many things that we've gone over here. Number one, we need to realize how important it is for us to be relational, for us to be relevant, and for us to be real. For example, when we talk about relational, they long for relationships. So why don't we communicate with them more often? Why don't we really share in life with them? I want you to note, I know I've already said it and the numbers have backed it up, but I want to remind you, this generation, probably better than generations for several generations back, are more connected with their parents. They stay in touch constantly with their parents. As a matter of fact, this generation, they do not buy something unless they check with somebody about, is this what I ought to be buying? 68% of the time, they communicate with someone else before they make a purchase. Now, for them, communication is all the time. They pull the phone out and real quickly, hey, what brand did you buy? Do you think this is a good buy? Would you buy this if you were me? I'm just throwing that out to say they're in constant communication. They're in constant communication with their parents. They talk before purchases. Social media is where they live. Just like those of us that are older, we said, hey, all of your class friends, people you've worked with in the past, they're all over in the fellowship room. So after service tonight, if you want to go over there and visit with them, and you would, you would go over there. Well, social media is where they live because all of their connections are right there. Obviously, any of us are invited into that world. We just have to decide if we want to be a part of it. That's why it's important for their class announcements, their prayer requests, and et cetera, to be a part of that. On this next slide, we see a mentoring that is available for older couples mentoring younger couples. And some of you will remember that several years ago we did this. And this is something that you'll probably be hearing more about soon. And what a blessing it'll be because statistically, this is what, and through research, this is what this generation is crying out for. They want more mentors. It's said it in studies and it's said it even among our group when we surveyed them. And so this is something that we'll try to offer. And so the, if you're a, a couple that's been married uh, 20 years or so and, and more and you want to be involved in being a mentor, be thinking about that and you'll hear more about that later. All right. Well, also when we think about relational, they do long to belong. So let's embrace them. When they leave the youth group, do they have a place during college and they come home? Do they feel abandoned? I want to encourage you. We have a lot of teachers in this room and I'm talking about Bible class teachers. We have a lot of family where you have relatives here. We have a lot of people that have just loved a lot of people through the years. Tonight, we have several college kids home. I beg you, do not let them get out of this auditorium until you ask them something about the beginning of their college. 
They want to belong. It's difficult when you go to school and you come home to your home church and you feel like it's not your home church anymore. Young marrieds without children oftentimes do not feel as close as young marrieds with children. And what does this mean? The challenge to this is on this next slide, and this is something that we really have to be aware of. Addressing the challenge of only reaching young adults who have children. What does that mean? Statistically, what we do very well in the Lord's church is once you marry and have children, we have a place where you feel welcome, you feel at home. Now, I'm not saying anybody here does this intentionally. But statistically, if you're young and single or a young married without children, statistically, it is harder for you to feel like you belong. What can you do to make sure that you don't feel that way? What can the church family do to make sure that you don't feel that way? Listen, we're just being open and honest tonight. We're saying this, this is the cards. Let's lay them out. What are we dealing with? Because we know this. We know we love God and we know we love each other. So what is it that we could do to help this situation where, where we've got an easy fix if you're married with children? Why don't we have a better fix here? And I'm not saying people haven't tried and I'm not saying people haven't done some good things already. But that is our challenge. Let's be thoughtful. Let's be prayerful about that. And then I'd like for you to think about relevance. Just think about the very definition of relevance. Relevance is the idea of being connected with the matter at hand. Well, when you say, well, what is it that the church ought to be connected to? Number one, next slide, we ought to be connected to God. That is first and foremost. Are we relevant to God? Or would God look down and say, I don't feel connected to you at all. I'm not pleased with you. Well, let's hope we're connected with God. But then second, let's think about this. What about in our worship and our life? Are those two connected? Remember the illustration I gave you earlier where the young man said, what I saw my parents do, it didn't connect at all to daily life. And he said, I don't need that game. I love my parents, but I have no need in my life for the game that they played. We need to make sure that we live lives that are relevant to our worship and that our worship is relevant to our life. We need to make sure we have that consistency. Also, we need to make sure that what we study in class, what we study when we say, let's open the Bible and study together, is it relevant to where we live today? And then fourth, I'd like for you to think about, are we relevant to our communities? I already mentioned this to you a while ago and I said we talk about it more in a minute, but, but this is the simple point. Are we connected to the communities? When, when we think about our challenge to this, uh, let me, let me uh, give you one more tweet and then we'll give you one last slide and I'll read an example out of the book that also ties into that relevance. Uh, the millennials in this tweet says, to engage millennials, churches must engage in real mission and make discernible differences in their community and the world. In other words, what this generation longs for, and I think any generation that's faithful to the Lord would long for, is real, let's be real in our love for God. Let's be real in our love for each other. You know, Colton was sharing with me just the other day about one of the young men uh, in his mid-twenties that, that he's working with, and the, the young man made a bad mistake. Next time he came to church, 
One of the older guys proceeded to chew him out for several minutes. Now the problem is, this guy had no relationship with him. That doesn't come across real. If the only time you have something to say to me is when I do something wrong, I'll try my best to listen to you, and I'll try my best to love you as God would want me to love you, but I assure you, it's not going to do any good. I'm going to listen to those who love me. I'm going to listen to those who have already invested in my life. And so what they're looking for is what any of us would be looking for. We need real relationships. Real relationships that says, I want to walk with you now, and when you fall, I want to be there to help pick you up. And when things are going great, I want to be there to celebrate with you. I want to cry with those who cry, and I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. But then also, love for those outside the church. Now, I want to read to you some strong words, and I'm not saying anybody here feels this way about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, but... This right here is an eye-opener, and then we close. Maybe I shouldn't close with this because this is pretty tough. But in, this, in, in all the surveys, Rebecca is a girl that they surveyed, and she said, think about relevance to the community and where we put our life. She says, I call it baby boomer reflux, said Rebecca. The outspoken 26-year-old clarified the boomers give money to the church, but it comes right back to them to keep them content. They hire the staff to do the ministry they won't do. The money goes to make the buildings more comfortable for them. And then churches begins all kinds of ministries for boomers and their families to keep them happy. Most churches today suffer from baby boomer reflux. We didn't have to ask Rebecca if she would attend that kind of church. She continued, I will never go to that kind of church, she responded without a question. That's not New Testament Christianity. That is a religious social club. One thing I love about this generation, they're going to help us move more to becoming people that love our neighbor as ourselves. I think every generation brings strengths and weaknesses to the table. And I really believe this generation is going to call us to a greater love and the proof of that love. And I appreciate that, as no doubt they will stretch us. Tonight, I hope that you'll be prayerful. I hope that you'll think about some things that we've said. And what if everybody in this audience tonight that is not of the millennial generation, what if everybody thought of somebody they were going to reach out to? And I don't mean for a week. I mean to form a relationship. Maybe it's just continually write a note while they're in college or while they're young and single or while they're young and married or while they're young and married with young children. All of us, all of us value from godly relationships. Let's make sure that as a church, we never become so connected to our generation that we become apathetic to any other generation. And that's true for the millennials. They need to reach out just like we need to reach out. Tonight, 
Let's be prayerful. Let's be concerned. Let's be diligent. Let's do what we can do to make an impact upon the largest generation in America today. Listen, if we don't reach this generation, the church is not going to look as strong in number 20 to 30 years from now at all. This is a huge population. Tonight, let's think about your soul as we sing this song of encouragement. Let's each evaluate our life. Are we close to God? Let's make sure that when we leave here tonight, our heart is set upon God and we're set upon God's children. Tonight, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, we would love to assist you with that. Tonight, if you're ready to repent and come back and confess sin and pray forgiveness, we'd love to assist you with that. Let's make sure, let's make sure that we're real. Let's not let today just be a Sunday religion. Let's let today be about what we're about all the day.